highest praises there. Dolson Tower Bridge Thank you, Ivan. I really, really loved uh, worshiping this morning. Um, just to say, um, next Sunday morning, um, well, I was about to say we're, we're going to take a break in a sense from the, the teaching series that we're in at the minute. Uh, but in some ways, we're not taking a break because Wallace Bruce um, is going to be sharing about um, the work that he's involved in working with students on the campus um, in Korean and in McGee and in Letterkenny. Um, and so, really, it's kind of continuing the theme of mission because he's uh, going to be sharing about how the students are engaged in mission on campus. Um, and also, I've really asked Wallace to share. Uh, Wallace has a real passion and heart for inspiring and equipping the students to have a real vision for their whole life being about mission, uh, including their studies and the work that they're going to go and do uh, in life. And so I've asked Wallace to share a wee bit about what that looks like, kind of trying to um, encourage students to catch that vision of all of life uh, being mission. Uh, so Wallace will be sharing next week. Make sure you don't miss it. Um, let's take a moment and just gather our hearts as we open up God's word this morning. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, you know that whenever we open up your word, there are, there are often many things that can distract us and take our minds and hearts away from uh, the things that you want to say to us. And so we want to take a moment and just say to you, Lord, that we are listening. And we want to ask that the seed of your word would find good soil in our hearts, that it wouldn't be snatched away by the enemy, uh, that it wouldn't fall on thin or shallow soil, it wouldn't get choked out by the distractions of life. Uh, but we want to pray that it would go deep into the soil of our hearts and that it would bear good fruit, that it would make a difference uh, to the people that we are and the way that we live. So Father, help us this morning by your spirit to hear what you want to say to us through your word, uh, to take it into the depths of our hearts. And we pray uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so, I'm going to jump right in. Um, last week, um, we were thinking about this question. We're kind of on a bit of an overview of uh, what the Bible says about mission from beginning to end. Um, last week, we were thinking about the mission of Jesus. What was the mission of Jesus? And we, uh, we thought about that in a few different ways. But this week, uh, we want to jump, jump into this question. What is the mission of the church? Um, we, we began in the garden thinking about our mission. We, we went on to Abraham. We've gone on to Jesus. Uh, but now we're landing with us as the church. What is the mission of the church? And I wonder even in your own mind, as I put the question up, um, how would you begin to answer that question? Um, what is our mission as the church in general? What is our mission as Mount Sandal Christian Fellowship in this neighbourhood at this moment in history? Um, what is the mission of the church? Um, we're going to read um, a really famous passage and we're going to be focusing on a very famous verse uh, this morning. Um, so we're going to read the beginning of the book of Acts um, right down to verse 8 and verse 8 is what we're going to Going to focus on so Acts chapter 1 you can follow on the screen behind me and reading from the beginning uh, it says this uh, this is Luke writing um, many of you will know Luke wrote the gospel of Luke 
and so Acts is really kind of the second volume of a two-part work. Uh, he addresses the book of Acts to some, someone called Theophilus. We don't know if that was a real person or if that was a nickname. Uh, Theophilus means lover of God. It's kind of a beautiful name, so it may have been a specific individual or it may have been addressed to those who love God. Uh, but let's read uh, from the beginning of Acts. Luke writes, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And this is the verse we're going to focus on this morning. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, the book of Acts um, tells the story of the birth of the church. Uh, and then it spread from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Um, but I want, I want us to notice something here. Uh, and we, we can maybe say it like this, that before there is a church, there is a mission. <laughs> so at the, moment, at the moment that we're reading about it, at the beginning of the book of Acts, the church has not yet been born, but Jesus gives a mission to his disciples. Before there is a church, there is a mission. Um, often we think, of their first being a church and then we ask well what is the mission of the church and we think of mission as being one of many things that the church does so the church might have a mission coordinator like Ricky Linton and we might have or we might have a mission committee or a mission department or mission mission stuff that we do so we think of mission as one subcategory of the church but in a sense I think we we have it back to front first there is a mission which is God's mission, which we've been thinking about over the last few weeks, which is that big story which began in the garden and flows through Abraham and Israel and then finds its centre in Jesus. And then God creates a new family called the church in order to fulfil and pursue his mission. Before there's a, mission, a church, there's a mission, or we could say it another way and say the church exists for mission. The church is brought into being for mission. The church is created, is born for mission. Uh, mission is not one part of the church. Um, the church is part of the unfolding story of God's mission in the world. That's kind of a, a framework maybe for what we're going to be thinking about this morning. Uh, maybe something you could reflect on and think about. How does that change our mindset if the church exists for mission? But really, um, for the rest of the time this morning, um, what I really want to do, it's a very simple sermon maybe this morning, 
I really want to focus on this one verse, which is very famous and very familiar. Um, but I really want to kind of push into some of the phrases that are in that verse and really try and reflect together about what they mean. We're going to take them one by one uh, in a funny order. Uh, sometimes my mind works in funny ways, so we're not going to do it from start to finish. We'll jump about a wee bit. Um, so I want to start here. Um, and maybe, the, maybe this is kind of the, the big thing of what we're thinking about. Jesus says, as he gives this mission to his disciples, you will be my witnesses. I want to think about that word together. Um, I wonder what comes to mind when you hear the word witnesses. Um, maybe if we're, we're not thinking immediately of a, a, a Christian meaning or a religious meaning, um, maybe where we, what we think of immediately is a courtroom setting. Someone who's been called to testify in court as a witness, who's been called to testify to, to what they have seen and heard. Um, and someone who gets up and promises to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, I've had to do it once in my life and I find it pretty scary uh, in that moment to, to be asked to get up and, um, and tell the truth. Uh, and your voice shakes a little bit and your knees wobble a little bit as you do it. I don't know if any of you have done it. Um, but maybe, maybe what I want to notice immediately is there is an unavoidable verbal element to being a witness. Uh, whenever I was a witness in court, um, I couldn't just kind of stand there and hope that people would get the idea from my posture or my attitude or my demeanor or the way I walked up to the um, place where you give your testimony. Um, I had to actually open my mouth and speak. And so it is with the mission of the church. We, we can't just hope that people are going to catch faith from us like a virus just by watching us and living alongside us. We, we have to open our mouths and speak. We have to share good news about Jesus. And so it says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing, and especially hearing the word of Christ, the message of Jesus. That's how faith comes about. So there's, there's an unavoidable verbal element. Even if our voice shakes, even if our knees wobble, there's a verbal element to speaking um, the message of Jesus. And yet also, um, and this is a, a theme we've been exploring a lot in this series, being a witness also involves more than just our words. Um, if what we say as a witness is going to be credible and believable, it matters how we live the rest of the time. Um, I often reflect on the fact Jesus didn't say, you will do some witnessing, which would make it sound like an occasional activity, like I'm going to go on a Friday night and do some witnessing. I'm going to go for one week every summer and do some witnessing. He said, you will be my witnesses. This is an identity. This is about who we are 24-7. This is about who we are as people. This is about our way of life. It has an un unavoidable verbal element, but it involves the whole of our human life and everyday behaviour and existence. So what does that mean? It means when you invite your colleague to Alpha uh, or you share a verse with them that you've been enjoying or you offer to pray for them, you are being a witness. But also, whenever you are doing your work well or badly, diligently or in a sloppy manner, when you join in or not with the banter and the gossip 
in the staff canteen. Whenever you're on the football pitch and you react however you react, whenever you're driving and you react however you react to other drivers, when you're at the school gate with other parents, when you're doing the shopping, when you're going on holiday, when you're dealing especially with that person you find annoying or strange or offensive, or the person who ridicules your faith, when you're responding to the homeless person on the street, when you respond to someone who disagrees with you on Twitter, when you engage with the person serving you at the checkout in Tesco's, whenever you're with your wife or your husband or your children, because although we think of family life as being behind closed doors, it's also visible to the world. You are being, for better or worse, a witness, either a credible, believable witness or not. All of our life, all of our way of walking, all of our way of living is involved in being a witness. Um, now maybe that sounds a wee bit scary. Let me, let me say something uh, really important. Um, to be a good witness doesn't mean to be perfect. And that's really important to say because if, if we think it does mean being perfect, we do one of two things. We either give up and go, I'm a terrible Christian. I can never be a good witness. I'm just going to keep my head down. Um, or maybe even more commonly, we pretend. Because we think being a good witness means being perfect, we hide all of our flaws uh, and we fake it. We, we slap on a big smile and with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm and we, we act like we're confident all the time and we have no doubts about anything and we never make any mistakes and we never get anything wrong. We're absolutely certain about everything that we do. <coughs> can I say something kind of bluntly for all of us? You can't witness to the truth of the gospel by lying, right? Because all of that is, is a bit of a bluff and a lie. We're not trying to persuade people to believe in us. So what we need to show to our neighbour, to our colleague, to our friend, what do we need to show? Not someone who's perfect, but an ordinary, flawed, messy human being who has met Jesus. And what does that mean? It means we have been forgiven, what, what Colin was sharing with us earlier on. Um, and so we don't need to hide our flaws and failures because our sin has been dealt with. Our sin is not deadly. And we are also someone who is being transformed to become more like Jesus. So we are a work in progress and we have a long way to go. And that is what we are trying to show to the world. That's very different to being the finished article or being perfect. Um, we are committed to that journey. Um, Paul, uh, writing to the Corinthians, says we have this treasure in jars of clay in order to show that this amazing power, this all-surpassing power, is from God and not from us. So as people look at us, they can see the clay. They can see that we are flawed and fallible and human like them. But they also see there is something else going on that is remarkable. Because the grace of God is at work in our life and we have been forgiven and we are being changed and we are on our way. That is what we are trying to show and share with our neighbour. I guess as I reflect on it, I, I often come back to this. Um, when you ask people what is the number one reason why people walk away from the church and often walk away sad, and I know there's lots of reasons, but I think the number one reason they give is because Christians are hypocrites. Because they say one thing and do another. Because they're one person in church and a different person in the work canteen. 
Was there one person in private and another person in public? And it's the number one reason why people get disillusioned when they walk away. If that is true, what is the number one thing that is going to change people's hearts and minds? It's whenever they get to share life up close with Christians who are the real deal. Not who are perfect, but who are living the gospel moment by moment and day by day. Who are living in relationship with Jesus in an honest way, moment by moment and day by day. Whose words and actions match, whose inside and outside matches, whose church life and work life matches, whose public and private is one person. Yeah, we, we live a whole life, an integrated life, where Jesus is in everything. Um, maybe, don't worry, I'm not going to talk this long about the other points I'm going to talk about. Um, but maybe just summon all of that up. Um, the book of 1 Peter, which I love. Um, Peter gives us both the things that we've talked about, that there's an unavoidable verbal element to being a witness. So Peter says, in a very famous verse, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So be ready to open your mouth and speak. Even if your voice shakes, even if your knees wobble, give the reason for the hope that you have. But earlier in the book, Peter also says this. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, although they want to find fault, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see how the whole of life um, surrounds and underlies the verbal bearing witness to the message of Jesus. So that's the first thing, you're to be my witnesses. And the second thing is this, um, not, get, not getting very far in the verse here, but you will be my witnesses. Now what, what do I want to draw attention to there? Um, when we're reading our Bible, um, there's, a, there's a big danger when you're reading the Bible in English. Because unlike a lot of other languages, we only have one word for you, for the singular and the plural. If you're reading in French, you wouldn't make this mistake uh, and in a lot of other languages. But very often we read things as individual, which are not meant to be individual, they're meant to be plural. This is not a singular you. It's not you will be my witness. It's, well, if you were living in the, the South of America, where Mali comes from, what would you say, Mali? Y'all. Y'all will be my witnesses, right? Sometimes in Northern Ireland, we've created one and say, yous will be, or yousins. Yousins will be my witnesses. So you can add that in just to clarify what we mean. This mission is not individual, but collective. The disciples are together when Jesus speaks these words to them, and the disciples are together again when the Spirit comes on them, as Jesus promised, and the church is born and their mission gets momentum. And as we read on in the book of Acts, there are, there are remarkable individual missionaries like Paul, of course, and there are remarkable individual missionary adventures like Philip meeting the Ethiopian eunuch, which are kind of one missionary and one person uh, that they're reaching. But the heart of the story all the way through the book of Acts is about the planting of communities, the planting of churches, these little communities of Jesus followers in every place that they go, in Jerusalem and in Antioch and in Ephesus and in Corinth and in Philippi and in Rome, what happens? It's not just about individuals meeting Jesus, it's about these communities, these families, these churches being planted and being born. Um, 
The heart of the story is about a family on mission, just as it was with Israel in the Old Testament. So it is now with the church. We are a family on mission. Um, why is that really important? Um, I think it's really important because the gospel at its heart is all about restored relationships. First between sinful humans and a holy God, but then also between human and human. Jesus makes peace and brings reconciliation, first of all vertically, but then also horizontally, so that people who were strangers and enemies become brothers and sisters. And God forms one new humanity out of the divisions that characterize human life. And so what that means is the gospel, if the gospel is going to become visible in our world, how does that happen? It doesn't just happen in a solitary individual Christian life. It happens in community. The only way for the gospel to become fully visible is in the life of a community. As we see the peace of the gospel, and the reconciliation of the gospel and the grace of the gospel being lived out, not only vertically but also horizontally. I think that's really good to remember. Um, it's really good to remember if you're one of those people who loves evangelism and mission and you're ready to leg it out the door to go and do it, but you're a little bit inclined to be a lone ranger and to do it yourself, it's good to remember this is the mission of the church. We're to do it together as family. Even Paul, who we think of as the great individual missionary, was always working in team, surrounding himself with team. It's a collective together mission that we've been given. Um, it's also good to remember, um, if you're one of those people, maybe you're not one to run out the door to do evangelism, maybe you're one of those people who love fellowship, and you love being here, and you love worship, and Bible study, and prayer, and warm friendship. It's good if that's the case. Those are all good things, but it's good to remember that the purpose of our life together is to show the gospel to the world. So our worship kind of needs to always have windows uh, out onto the world. There needs to be this outward look um, in everything that we do. It is a, a plural collective mission. Maybe, maybe that also takes the pressure off a little bit. Um, maybe if you're sitting this morning thinking, I don't know how to be a good witness to the world. Maybe we can turn to each other and say, let's do this together. Right? Let's work it out together. How to be this, how to do this in the world. So, you're to be witnesses, it's y'all here to, do, to be witnesses, using all of us together. Um, third thing I want to underline is this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I should mention, um, Diane Cathcart came up to me the other week and said I need to work on my pronunciation of the word power and make it a two-syllable word, as uh, those from Scotland do. Um, but I, I can't do it, so it's just going to be hard this morning. Um, but here is something else that I think can take the pressure off. Um, this is not, in the end, our mission. Actually, it's not in the beginning our mission, and it's not in the middle our mission either. Um, ever, ever since things fell apart in the garden, um, God has been on a mission, as we've been talking about these weeks, to reverse the curse to undo all the damage caused by sin, to restore blessing and shalom to all the families of the earth, to reconcile and restore and renew all things. He began this mission and he's going to finish it. But here in the middle of the story where you and I live, 
we are invited to play our part, and that's a remarkable responsibility that we have, and it's an amazing privilege that we have. We get to play a part, but the power that is going to change the world does not come from us, does not come from within us. Um, I want to encourage you for a second um, to take a little look around this room. So I want you to just take a moment and look at the people sitting beside you and around you um, in this room. People in the cafe as well, have a little look at those around you. Don't talk to them. Just look, <laughs> just look at them. Um, I, wonder, I wonder what you see when you look at this bunch of people. I'm not going to ask you to say. Um, maybe, maybe you see a very ordinary, scruffy, messy, flawed bunch of human beings. That is true. But God can use this church to be a powerful blessing in the world. Or maybe when you look around the room, maybe what you see, maybe you're kinder. Uh, maybe what you see is a wonderful, talented, beautiful, gifted bunch of people. Right? That is also true. Right? I think both the things are true. But that is not why this church can be a powerful blessing. Jesus actually tells his disciples, and I love, I love this bit, he tells his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem. Right? I, what I hear there is he said to them, don't try to do this yourselves. Right? You're going to injure yourselves. <laughs> and hurt other people and cause harm if you try to do this yourselves. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait until you receive power from above. <laughs> and then go. And you will be a powerful blessing to the world. Now, this ordinary, scruffy, unimpressive bunch of disciples who were in that room at the beginning of Acts, right, who were also, from another angle, beautiful and gifted and talented, and all the rest, but they were an ordinary, nervous, scruffy bunch. Um, but they went out and they lit fires across the entire Roman world and they started a movement which long outlasted the Roman Empire and they changed the course of human history and they turned the world upside down. And ever since, people have been wondering how did they do it? What was their secret? But it's right there in the story. It wasn't about their gifts or their talents, though they had some. It wasn't about their missionary strategy or method, though there's, there's some evidence that they had some strategy in the way that they went to the, the kind of centers of commerce and travel and all the rest. But that wasn't why they turned the world upside down. They were a small bunch of ordinary nervous disciples and they waited for the spirit and the spirit fell on them and they moved out and the world was changed. That is what the story tells us. And so if we want to be effective in mission, if you want to be effective in mission, um, this is the one thing necessary, to come in our weakness and ask for God to send his power, to wait and then to go. By the way, I think that is a repeated pattern in the life of God's people. So of course, Pentecost was a one-off and the church waited and the spirit was given. But what do you find later on in the book of Acts? Acts 13, you find the, the church in Antioch, as they were praying and fasting, or we could say it another way, as they were waiting on God, the Holy Spirit said to them, set aside Saul and Barnabas and send them on a mission to the Gentiles. And so the pattern of waiting and then going, waiting and then going, um, 
is repeated again and again, and I think it's something we need to learn again and again. What does it mean for us to be people who don't head off to try to change the world by ourselves, but who wait and come in our weakness, who receive all that God wants to pour out on us by his Spirit, and then go in the power of the Spirit uh, to change the world. Here's the last thing um, I want to think about. Um, this is going to happen where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. <coughs> so maybe I want to say, when the Spirit comes on ordinary, nervous disciples with shaky voices and wobbly knees, um, he moves us. And whenever I say that, I don't mean primarily he moves us emotionally. Sometimes that's what we think about with the Spirit, about getting a quiver in our liver and a little little goosebumps. You know, that's not what I mean, mainly. That can happen. Um, when the Spirit comes on disciples, he moves us out into the world. He doesn't allow us to stay in the place of comfort and safety. And so there's a real sense, I think, in the beginning of the book of Acts, that the disciples can't stay in the upper room. They are propelled out into the city and then into the world. And each place on that list is a little bit less comfortable than the one before. right? So maybe they'd rather stay in the upper room, but no, they have to go out into the city of Jerusalem. And then they're not just to stay in the city, but they're to go out into the countryside, which is scary, all the comfy people. And uh, they're to go into Judea. Uh, but that's still their homeland, that's their own people. Then they're going to Samaria. And Samaria is the enemy. Samaria is those people who are not like us, whose flags are different, whose religion is different, whose politics is different. And that's where the gospel is to take. And then it just blows the lid off and says, to the ends of the earth. I, I, I kind of often think it could have gone a bit more gradually than that, but it's just, actually, this is going to go everywhere. Um, the, the scariest, hairiest, wildest places you can imagine. Mission means movement. Um, I want to make a, a really honest confession here um, that I feel is important. Um, some of us by personality love that, right? Some of us love constant movement, constant motion. Um, I'm going to be really honest. By personality, I don't like that. Right? I am a I, I like stability. I like um, familiarity. Um, one of my favourite passages in the Bible is Psalm 1. Why, why do I love Psalm 1? Because I love that the tree planted by the streams of water. Right? I, deeply rooted, growing slowly, producing beautiful fruit. Right? That is my happy place. Right there, right? I want to be a tree. Um, trees don't move. <laughs> they, they stay in one place and just flourish. Right? Um, and that picture, of course, in Psalm 1 is really important. We need that. We need rootedness. But somehow we've got to also hold it along with this, that the gospel moves us out. The spirit moves us out. And it's all through the story. God called Abraham to leave his home and go into the unknown. Didn't know where he was going. Jesus called the disciples to leave their nets and come, and they didn't know where that was going to lead them, but they were to, to go. We are called to be people who are on the move. Um, I, I guess I was thinking about this, about being rooted, but also moving, and I was thinking, without being rooted, we can end up becoming kind of hyperactive Christians, who are just 
always running around doing stuff, but it's got no real focus, no real heart, no real purpose, and there's no real peace. It's a bit frenetic, it's a bit frantic. Right? We're movement without rootedness. But if we're just rooted and we don't have movement, we can easily become stale and stagnant. And we won't actually keep flourishing and producing good fruit. Um, and so this doesn't mess up our metaphors a little bit. I think it, as well as being a tree, we also have to be a shark, right? Can you be a, a shark tree, a tree shark? Um, there are some species of shark that literally have to stay in motion if they're gonna breathe. They can't live, they can't survive unless they stay in motion. And there's something about that that is true of the church. If we stop moving, we will die. The spirit always moves us. The gospel always moves us. Um, what does that look like to move into mission? Um, can mean lots of different things. I, I find encouragement in, in the book of Acts. For Paul, what did it mean? It meant going on these epic missionary journeys into every part of the known world. Now, that's the classic form of movement. Um, but for other disciples, it meant different things. What did it mean for Philip? It meant going into neighbouring Samaria. He didn't go as far as Paul, but he went into Samaria. And then he also had a ministry to travellers like the Ethiopian who were travelling to Jerusalem and they were coming to him. But he was moving into encounters with new people. For Peter, at least initially, it meant staying in Jerusalem, but moving into mission to the Gentiles, which was a huge shock for Peter and sharing the gospel with Cornelius and his family, um, crossing that boundary and that barrier. So the gospel always moves us, but it can look different for different people. What would it mean for us uh, to be moved by the gospel, to be moved by the spirit? Well, it may mean moving to another part of the world, like Rachel Robinson has, like Dave Murr has. It may mean getting up and going to some other place. It may mean at some point... In the, in the future, moving from MCF to join a new church plant, a new, something new that's beginning somewhere else. Um, it may mean moving into new mission projects in our town, maybe on the other side of town, maybe in neighbourhoods that are different to ours. Um, it may mean engaging in new ways of mission here in the Sandal Centre and here in Mount Sandal. Um, it may mean in your everyday life, just moving towards people you haven't engaged with before or don't want to engage with or, have, or where there's barriers in the way. Um, maybe to sum all that up um, a little bit more succinctly, um, it might mean crossing the ocean or it might mean crossing to the other side of town or it might mean crossing the street or crossing the canteen in work or crossing some of the divisions and barriers and boundaries in our culture, whether they're sectarian or generational or some other kind of barrier. But it always moves you. The gospel always moves you. The spirit always moves you. And so, if you're anything like me, last thing, um, you want to know what it'll mean for you, right? Can I tell you now, do you have to go to Saudi Arabia or do you just have to talk to that? difficult person in work, you kind of like to know, right? Um, and I want to finish with this. We were, leadership team were meeting the other day with our friend Alan Emerson from Emmanuel Church, um, and he probably inspired a lot of this sermon, actually, uh, from our conversation. 
but, but he shared with us this quotation from uh, his friend Jill Weber, who works for 24-7 Prayer. And Jill Weber likes to say this, that in dealing with God, we need to have this attitude where we say, the answer is yes, what's the question? Right? In other words, what is she saying is, we don't get to know at the beginning where it's going to lead. Abraham leaves home, he doesn't know where, where he's going to end up. The disciples leave their nets, they don't know where they're going to end up. The, the disciples in Jerusalem wait for the Spirit and they don't know where that's going to send them. Um, what matters is this posture of yielding to the Spirit, where we say to God, my answer is yes, and what's the question? Where we say, I'm willing to go wherever you send me, and I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I'm willing to move towards whoever it is you want me to move towards with your love and with the gospel. Um, now, what's the question? And so I want to finish by praying for us. That's maybe something we need to um, spend some time in the week ahead leaning into and sitting with a little bit, um, wrestling with a little bit. Is that something I'm willing to do? Say the scary thing to say to God, my answer is yes, but we don't know what the question is. But let's begin that process by praying together now. Um, let me encourage you, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning about the things we've been talking about or about something else, uh, there'll be people here who would love uh, to pray with you at the end. But let, let's pray together and then we're going to see uh, to finish. Maybe uh, this morning we could stand uh, to pray together. thank you that you know our hearts so well. Um, I want to thank you that you know um, the parts of us that are a bit nervous and a bit scared when we talk about these things. Um, I want to thank you that you know those of us who like familiarity and rootedness and we don't like change. And so sometimes we're a bit scared to say to you, Lord, I'm willing to go wherever you send me. And yet, Father, I want to pray that you'd allow us to hear this challenge this morning. That when the gospel really gets into our hearts, it always moves us out. That when your spirit um, really comes upon us and takes, takes up residence in our lives, your spirit always moves us out. Father, I want to thank you that we don't need to be afraid of saying yes to you, that although it can mean discomfort, and although it can mean risk, and although there can be a cost, it is always worth it, because it is life with you, and it always leads to fruitfulness, and it always leads to blessing, and it always leads to flourishing, and it always leads to abundance of life, and it always leads to joy. And so, Father, even just in this moment of quiet, I want to pray that you would search our hearts. I want to pray you'd help us to reflect on the question, am I willing to completely surrender my life to the Holy Spirit? 
Am I willing to hold out my hands and just say my answer is yes? Here is my heart. Here is my mind. Here is my life. I want you to have it all. I want you to come and inhabit every corner of my existence and I want you to take me wherever you want to take me. Send me wherever you want to send me. Move me towards the people that you want me to bless in your name and share good news with. Father, I want to pray, even in this moment, you would hear, maybe with a wobbly voice, the answer of our hearts saying, my answer is yes. Father, we pray that in the days ahead, as individuals, but especially collectively as a church, would you lead us into new adventures and mission for the blessing of our neighbourhood, for the blessing of our world. Give us a willing spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.